When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 153, and we are recording on October 16th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Together again. Hooray! It has (laughs) been a really sort of mishmashy couple of months. Yes, it has. Everybody traveling and just nuts kind of scheduling stuff, and now we are back together. Friends. All is right in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you reading, lady? I finally started Ancillary Mercy. As all of you know, Yay. I am terrible at finishing series. But this one, I was, like, determined to do it. Um, I created this, like, bonkers new system of picking what I'm going to read next. And it, Ooh. like, forced me to get to it. So I'm finally finishing the Ancillary Justice series. Today. And it's great. Like, every time I read a book of hers, I love it. I just am always, you know, new shiny things. So, mm-hmm. that's, I have nothing else to say. It's about a, you know, a conscious ship that inhabits a human body and then discovers a big thousands of years old political conspiracy. And there you go. <laughs> it's so much fun. It is fun. Wait, you? so what's your, what's your oh. bonkers new system? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, um, my mother gave me a giant new bookshelf, like this huge old looking thing that took four people to get into my house. Um, (laughs) and so I separated out the books that I had purchased myself from my Mm -hmm. TBR, which were just all in a big pile, um, from books that like publishers have sent me. And I'm trying to focus on reading those before I care about anything that publishers have sent me. Oh, Um, yeah, I like it. So I separated those into like books that I've bought um sequels or continuations of books of series that I'm in the middle of classics and then uh, romances so they're each each section like fits nicely on its own little shelf and I'm just starting at the top and moving down so nice I read a book that I bought and then I read something in a series and then I read a romance and then I read a classic and I just do it like that and then once I work Mm. through all of that then I will go back to my you know, reading the stuff that publishers have or maybe not. I don't know. I don't. I don't care. So <laughs> this <laughs> the is what don't I'm doing. Care now. is strong. <laughs> I, I don't care so much about books I didn't ask for. You know, like they're sent to me. I didn't right. ask for them. But um, right. yeah, yay! Ancillary mercy. I like it. I think you know, this is why we're friends because that was one of the. I think you know, I wrote that post about like ways to weed out your TBR, mm-hmm. and that was literally like do the books you bought first yep. before the ones you got for free was in there. So. Yes, excellent. Um, I grabbed, last night on my way to bed, I grabbed An Easy Death by Charlene Harris. It's the first book in her new series, and it's like a supernatural Western. So I was curious, because that's a thing that I like. Um, but, and yeah, so, and it's it's reminding me a little bit of Buffalo Soldier by Marcus Maurice, excuse me, Brodus, and um, ooh, what was the novella that I just read? Uh, the Black God's Drums by mm-hmm. P. Jelly Clark, where th- and and actually Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, where there's like these like it's like alternate history, wacky like the U.S. has been carved up into different shapes, alternate history. So in this one, it's like 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt has been assassinated and the U.S. has been sort of carved up by various other countries. So there's like a holy Russian empire section of the U.S. and there's like a new America that's kind of the frontiersy West. And then there's um, like the Britannia, which is, you know, the states that went back to the rule under the British Empire and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's it. I'm only like uh, maybe a hundred some pages into it, um, but there's a young woman named Elizabeth Rose who's like a gunslinger, and um, she's running people across the border from Mexico to New America, um, like the reverse, like kind of reversey um, from what is happening in real world, and. Um, and and then there are these like Russian like wizards who show up at her doorstep after like a particularly ill-fated mission, and I'm still trying to figure out what exactly is going on. But um, it's very atmospheric. I'm waiting to see if Harris will do a good job on the representation because this premise is very loaded um, in a lot of different ways, and so I'm curious to see how that's gonna work. And like she basically, well, this is a spoiler, so I won't say it. It is it is yet it's still TBD how the representation. <laughs> is going to work out. I'm still waiting to see what exactly is going to happen. But anyway, I mean, it's definitely like a Charlene Harris book. Like, it's easy to read and the characters are pretty entertaining and the voice is strong. So we'll see how it goes. Um, so that's An Easy Death by Charlene Harris. Okay, let's see. Um, so you are listening, as you know, to Get Booked, which is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. You send us your reading requests either by email, getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode, and we will do our best to find you a book. It can be for your book club or for you or for your niece or nephew or your aunt or whoever we don't care ask us what books should be read next and we will do our best to find a good fit um if you have a time sensitive question please put the date that you're hoping to get a response by either in the subject line of the email or the very first line in the form we do our best to get to those either on the air or if we're not going to get to it on air we might send you an email response um, but it really helps to see it front and center that's super helpful. Uh, okay, let's see what else. Oh, we have a lot of feedback for the person who was looking for lady-friendly Japanese literature. Um, the recommended titles from one of the listeners is Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, in which an odd, quote-unquote, young woman lives her life according to the employee handbook at her job in a convenience store, but then a new hire disrupts her comfortable stasis. Um, Crossfire by Miyuki Miyabe, in which a pyrokinetic young woman's vigilantism puts her on the radar of journalists, detectives, and secret organizations in Tokyo. And that is now a book I need to read. <laughs> um, and then Out by Natsuo Kirino, which we have talked about before, in which um, young mothers band together with, or a, a young mother bands together with her coworkers to cover up the murder of her deadbeat husband, and a cat and mouse investigation ensues. So there you go. More lady friendly, lady friendly. That's a really funny phrase. Um, female focused Japanese literature. <laughs> that's what we're going to call it. Um, and a reminder for everyone if you haven't already gotten on this, we have launched a new subscription service called TBR for tailored book recommendations, and it is basically a stitch fix for books so you tell tbr about your reading preferences you fill out a little survey 
there's a little quiz, and then and you tell it what you're looking for, and then your bibliologist will be assigned to you based on their specialty and how it matches up with what you're looking for, and they will handpick recommendations just for you. Um, there's a plan to get hardcover books in the mail, or you can get recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget, and it so far the reviews coming in are awesome. Um, it's been really fun to see people start to, the like beta testers start to get their books and give feedback. Um, and we have a bunch of amazing bibliologists on hand. So even if you have like a really specific, you know, need in your reading life, like we will do our best to match you up with somebody who's going to get you those books. Um, and the recommendations only plan is available worldwide. Uh, hardcovers are available in the U.S. So give that a look. It's mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. Okay, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then away we will go. This is from Rebecca with a K, Edit H, who <laughs> says, I'm taking a trip to Portland, Oregon, and will go visit Powell City of Books for my first time. I noticed as I was making my wish list of books I want to buy and looked at the list of books I've read this year, I realized I have read too many books that are emotionally heavy. I'm not trying to say those books are unimportant because they are. I just need an escape every now and then. I recently read Alan Bennett's The Uncommon Reader and loved it so much. I need recommendations for books like that. Easy to read in one sitting, grossly absorbing and don't leave me feeling emotionally and mentally exhausted. I have also read the Binti Trilogy by Nettie Okorafor and the Bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald. Not a fan of romance novels, would like some recommendations by women, people of color, or LGBTQ. Uh, thanks again. All right. Uh, we both picked tour novellas for this one. I just <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, that's okay. Uh, okay. Our first sponsor is Timothy Top Book One, The Green Pig, which is by Good, G-U-D, end of author's name. That's it. Just Good. Timothy Top is from Lionforge's middle grade imprint. Um, so this is like a middle grade comic graphic novel that, you know, for all ages. The little boy's name, the main character's name is Timothy Top. He is eight years old. He's fascinated by nature and superheroes, but he's having kind of a hard time. His parents' marriage isn't going very well. They're quarreling all the time. His new school classmates bully him. And then a crooked businessman moves into the neighborhood and plans to reinvent his favorite local park and make it into this like concrete, terrible monstrosity. Um, so Tim Timothy sets out to save the park, which houses his favorite tree that has like special significance in his life. He can't really figure out how he's going to do it. And then one night, his love of superheroes and his love of nature combines and he wakes up with a, wait for it, magical green thumb, which is hey. like the coolest superpower I've ever heard of. So he needs to figure out how to use his powers to save the park and his parents' crumbling relationship. So uh, lots of different themes in this book. You, it's a really great way to introduce them to young kids, like environmentalism, um, dealing with bullies, what to do when your parents are arguing, and like, you know, that responsibility that kids sometimes feel for that sort of thing, um, expectations at school, all of that. So that's Timothy Top, book one, The Green Pig. Okay. Um, I picked Passing Strange by Ellen Clegg's, ooh, Clegg's, K-L-A-G-E-S, it will be in the show notes. Um, and this you can definitely read in one sitting. I did read it in one sitting and it's super absorbing and like a lot happens and it's important things that happen, but you won't feel exhausted and hopeless at the end of it. It is a novella for one thing, um, but it is historical fiction, it takes place in 1940 and it is about magical San Francisco. Go 1940s lesbians. And that is all you need to know. End of show. Have a good day. 
Just kidding. Um, so there's a, you follow like a, a, a few different characters. It's a group of friends um, who live in San Francisco in 1940. Uh, World War II is just about to happen. Um, and the, it, I love, the best. my favorite thing about this book is how San Francisco is such a character. Like the food and the nightclubs and Chinatown and this, uh, but parts of the city where like outcasts come to meet and you get really involved in the lives of these six women and the things that they have to do to live their lives as queer women in 1940 when it was illegal. Um, and like the, the, the laws that existed about how many articles of clothing had to be from female labels in order for you to like that you had to wear so you wouldn't get arrested and so and like things like that things I'd never I'd never known about because I hadn't done any research into 1940 San Francisco laws about lesbians uh which now I like deeply regret because it's fascinating um so there is some magic it's got a little bit of magical realism um in it I, I can't like I can't tell you what the magic is because then that spoils what happens and I also can't tell you like the big conflict because then you'll figure it out. So I I'm, I realize I'm, I'm revealing like very little plot, but it's interesting. Um, there's some heartbreak. There's, um, you know, that, that like twinge of like everything is pretty normal except this person who can like move time. And, you know, there's just like one tick off. It's very Neil Gaiman-y in that kind of way. Um, and also the San Francisco in the 40s is like such a perfect setting. And I ha have never read a book set in that time and place. Um, and it's just lovely. So it's Passing Strange by Ellen. Cl I'm going to go with Cleggs. Yeah, we did both pick tour novellas. <laughs> and that's just what's happening right now. Um, They're they, great. They've done, I was going to say, they've done such a good job. Um, and novellas are, I mean, you mentioned the Binti trilogy, which are also novellas. Um and they're just fun and easy. Um, all these ones, anyway. Uh, I picked you River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. And I'm realizing I have an unintentional theme here with the, my what I'm reading now. Because this is also sort of a weird, magical... Mm, not magical. A weird Western. Let's call it that. <laughs> um, it's about an alternate United States in which uh, the government of America decided to bring hippos in to be bred for meat. Um, because that was, this is like, it was a real plan that they considered, but they didn't do it. Um, so in this, in this novel, they did it. Um, but the problem that that is that hippos got loose and they went feral and they're really fast and they have big teeth. And now they're like infested. They've infested Louisiana and are like running amok and killing people and yeah, murder hippos. Um, and so, so the main character, um, Winslow Houndstooth is sort of like a mercenary, hippo wrangler and gets hired <laughs> by it's so it's so much fun to talk about these combinations of words are just I know. it's really great um yeah so uh and it's his job to they like the u.s government has decided they need to clear out louisiana of these feral hippos and they like give him a contract to do it but they don't specify how um so he hatches a plan that involves a crew and it is very like oceans 11 except it's hippos and it's Louisiana, like 1900s Louisiana. Um, and it's just weird and fun. And the cast of the, like the crew that he brings together is super diverse. There's queer representation. There's persons of color. Um, 
The story is so much fun. And this is the first in a two-book series. The second one is called Taste of Marrow. It's out now. And there's an omnibus collection called American Hippo, which is also a great name for a thing. Um, so, yeah, you can, like, if you want more than just, you know, the novella length, um, you can just get the omnibus and have, like, almost basically a full novel experience. So, and, yeah, like, it's just so much fun. They're really absorbing. They'll It'll leave you just feeling sort of, like chuckling to yourself about hippos um, and like wacky like frontiersy plots uh, so again that's River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey alright question two is from Tracy who says I'm traveling to Santa Fe New Mexico to live for a while but know virtually nothing about it I love book su- suggestions either modern fiction or nonfiction slash travel that give a sense of the history atmosphere cultures and climate of New Mexico. I recently read Pretend I'm Dead by Jen Bagan and thought it was great, although New Mexico is only a backdrop in that one. I'm not a big fan of cowboy frontier type stuff. Okay, I picked a, I don't even know if this you would call this travel so much. Uh, it's very memory, but I picked Fire Season, Field Notes from a Wilderness Lookout by Philip Connors. Um, Philip Connors was a journalist at the Wall Street Journal. He was an editor. And before that, he had t- a bunch of different odd jobs. He was kind of one of those people that like hops around looking for what's going to make him happy. But he was always like, a very outdoorsy sort of person. And then he gets a chance to work at one of the last fire lookouts in America, which is in New Mexico, in like very, very remote area of New Mexico, in a seven by seven glass tower that is 10,000 feet above sea level. So he takes his dog, Alice, because of course he does, um, and goes to this tower to live. And his job is literally to watch the land and spot fires. It's one of the most fire-prone areas in the country. Um, It's super rugged and there are no roads. It gets hit by lightning like 30,000 times a year. Um, And the memoir is like just a recounting of his days out there in that um, glass tower by himself with just his dog. And occasionally like, hikers who have gotten lost and, you know, bears. Um, He also takes trips to visit the graves of like Buffalo soldiers who died in the, you know, the 19th century in New Mexico. So he talks a lot about the climate and um, environmental issues facing these remote kind of regions of New Mexico, why those places are still really needed and valued, and also the history of the country. Um, So it's got a kind of Terry Tempest Williams, but like with the masculinity ratcheted up a, quite a good bit. Um, and it's just really informative and, and um, introspective. So that's Fire Season by Philip Connors. I loved that book mm. so much. It made me want to go be a fire lookout. Like I had to, <laughs> I really had to resist the urge to quit all of my jobs and go be a fire Not, lookout. No. Is there one no? by? No. No. I no. need to be within 20 minutes of a target at all times. <laughs> That's just, I don't even care. Like, I am the most suburban human you're ever going to meet in your life. And I'm so happy with it. <laughs> no gracias. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> well, so I picked a book that I've talked about on this podcast before, but I really can't, I could not think of anything that fits your question better. It's Night at the Fiestas by Kirsten Valdez Quaid. It is a short story collection, and Quaid herself is Latina, um, and she is from the New Mexico area. Um, and some of these stories are not explicitly New Mexico, but they're all American Southwest, and I think a few of them are actually. Um, and it, it like they're just so they're so exactly atmospheric. Like you just really feel. Like you have now been to this little town or this little mesa or like at this, you know, 
family celebration. Like you just, when you've read them, you feel like you've been there. Um, and I can't think of anything better if you're going to sort of give you, and it's, and it's modern stories. They're not like oldie time stories. These are all modern stories. Um, so for example, one of them, um, is about a young man who, uh, has to deal with, um, his recently deceased grandfather, grandmother's empty house. Um, and he shows up to find that his his father, who he's been estranged from, is like squatting in the house along with a boa constrictor, um, and like now has to deal with like that. Um, or there's um, a retiree who comes to Santa Fe, like you know, new, like a snowbird, like okay, now I'm going to move here, and this is going to be my retirement. And she sort of gets obsessed with her housekeeper and her housekeeper's life. Um, there is uh, one about a father who has is like a very deadbeat dad, um, and his daughter who he you know has not had much of a role in her life um she is recently pregnant uh, she's a teenager and he is like trying to like prove that he can be a dad and help out or whatever by playing the role of Jesus in the penitential passion play that the town is putting on um so that it's like there's there's really difficult family stuff in here um there's like a a, a young couple who the they're like camped out in the middle of nowhere sort of in a trailer and there's no heat and the woman's just waiting for the husband to get back with with their little girl and she's just like thinking like how did I end up here like how how did I end up freezing in this trailer in the desert like what is my life um and so yeah they're they're like there's sort of vignettes um and there's not a ton of like big fancy plot but they're just they're just this you know close-up look at the lives of the characters and it's all situated in this landscape and you do feel like you've been there so i i think this is what you're looking for um so again that's night at the fiestas by kirsten valdez quaid all right. Our next question is, um, my friend is looking for recommendations. Oh, from Andrea. My friend is looking for recommendations, and I just do not feel equipped to suggest based on our different reading interests. He gave me his two favorite books, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and Dragon Teeth by Michael Crichton. I suggested Nosferatu by Joe Hill based on one of your previous shows, and he loved it. But he actually moved it to the top of his TBR because of the Rolls Royce. He absolutely loves cars. It is his passion personally and professionally. Do you have any suggestions for what he calls adventure and darker books? Huge plus if you can throw in a sweet car. I'm trying to keep his reading flame alive. I love this question. Mm-hmm. This question is so much fun. Um, and I'm picking a book. Again, you've heard me us recommend it before, but it's so perfect for this. It's Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones, which is very like... Stephen King, Joe Hill adjacent. Like, it's dark. It's kind of horror-y. There's, like, a lot of body horror. Um, It's about a family of modern-day werewolves, but not in the way that, like, you are used to seeing werewolves. This is a much more both, like, mundane and gritty version of werewolves. And there is, like, a pivotal car in the story. Um, I was trying to think. I was like, oh, what story do I remember, like, have a memory of a car, which I don't pay attention to cars. So if I have a memory of a car in the story, it has (laughs) to have been central. And this one popped up in my head. Um, It's narrated by a young boy who lives with his aunt and uncle, um, who are siblings. And they are werewolves. And he, like, there's, like, this... awakening moment at the beginning where he figures out that the stories that his grandfather has been telling him are not just stories. Um, And then it sort of all unfolds from there. And he doesn't know if he's going to become a werewolf or not. Um, And they live this very itinerant life because of reasons. Um, They're poor, like they're really struggling. And also they're, they're 
very subject to like both racism and classism and they're werewolves. So it's very complicated. Um, and it's just an amazing book. Like it's, it just, it's really dark and gross. And I had trouble reading some of the scenes, but if, if he likes horror and he likes, yeah, like these kinds of like real world moments in the horror, I think he's going to love this. Um, and there's a car. So mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, I picked a classic of the <laughs> scary books with cars in them genre. I don't know if that's real. I picked Christine by uh, Stephen King. Uh, this is, I, you know, I don't really hear a lot of talk about this book. And in this huge rush of all of the work he's ever done being adapted and readapted lately, I've not heard anything about an adaptation of Christine. I know there is one from like the 70s, um, but I've not seen a new one. When am I going to get a new Christine? Anyway, this is about a killer car. <laughs> um, the main character is a high school student named Arnie who's like, not very popular and kind of a nerd. And then him and his best friend find a 1958 Plymouth that the like in the front yard of somebody's Pennsylvania neighborhood. Um, they buy from you know the old like the grumpy old guy who owns it. Um, which I love like that like that thing where people in the country it doesn't have it's not the South it's like just rural crap in the yard stuff. I love that so much. Like spot the cars. Um, and then Stephen King wrote a book about it. It's so good. Um, so Arnie gets this car. It starts to like somehow become restored little by little and starts to take over Arnie's life. Like he becomes super confident. He starts dating the really hot transfer student in school. Um, meanwhile, the car is just like magically getting better and people start dying. What? And so it's, I, I, you know, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. And I feel like the car, the Nosferatu, the Rolls Royce in, um, in Nosferatu was not borrowed, but like very heavily inspired by the creepy freaking 1958 Plymouth in Christine. So yeah, that was what I picked. So that's Christine by Stephen King. Alrighty. Um, question four. Um, apparently I have an unpopular opinion. Oh, this is from Kelly. Uh, an unpopular opinion. After watching TV adaptations, I decided to try Philippa Gregory's books, but didn't seem to enjoy it very much. Um, I'm confused by this because I usually enjoy these sorts of books, uh, but I'm not finding the environment or the characters very immersive. Could you recommend a political machinations inspired by history book with power red weddings, a rising king kind of novel by another author. Ideally, it would be realistic with a few witchy superstitions, but full fantasy is fine too. Wolf Hall is on my TBR, and I know you've mentioned an inclusive Game of Thrones. Was it Promise of Blood? Uh, oh, you... You, yep, okay. I got it. Jen's going to answer that part. Okay, so my pick for you is not inclusive Game of Thrones. It's The Winter Palace by Ava Stachniak, which is Philippa Gregory-ish. It's historical fiction about a, an actual monarch, which is what Philippa Gregory writes. And this one is about Catherine the Great. So, but the book is not told from her perspective. It's told from the perspective of a servant in the palace named Barbara, who is very smart. And um, she kind of comes under the wing of the spy master of the palace. And he teaches her uh, how to pick locks and how to navigate the secret passages of the palace and kind of just like takes advantage of her proximity to the female royalty um, and her skills and her intelligence to do what you don't know. Like for very for a long time in the book, before the character of Catherine is even introduced, she's just being trained. And the spy master is very much like, 
eventually will use you. We don't know how. Just, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. So she just learns how to be a spy in the palace. And then a young princess named Sophie, who is a teenager, arrives uh, at court. She is going to be marrying the empress's nephew. Um, but she turns out to be, like, not as tractable as everyone in the palace thought she was going to be. She's got her own ambitions. Uh, Sophie, of course, turns out to be Catherine the Great. And Barbara, the servant, um, becomes her, uh, what do you call like one of her ladies-in-waiting. Um, and they become very close. She becomes her confidant. And then the two women work together to further Sophie, Catherine the Great's, um, ambitions and what she wants. So there's a lot of political machinations in this book. It is like 100% people trying to get power however they can, using whomever they can in whatever way um, it presents itself, including like forced marriages and having a lot of babies. Um, so that's The Winter Palace, a novel of Catherine the Great by Ava Stachniak. I went full fantasy because you said I could. Uh, <laughs> and the inclusive Game of Thrones, I think you're thinking of War with the Mine by David Anthony Durham, which if you have not gotten that yet, it's the Acacia series. It is so good. Um, definitely add that to your list. Um, but I, since I've recommended that one before and wanted to give you another option, um, I was thinking of The 100,000 Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin, which um, she we talk about her a lot and and um, her fifth season, uh, Broken Earth Trilogy, you know, won three Hugos, triple winner. Um, but this is an older series. And the first book in particular is exactly what you're talking about. It is all of this, like, crazy court politics plus fantasy. Um and I really loved it. Um, and I think it would scratch that sort of Game of Thrones itch that you have. And the thing that's nice about this one is it is not just like a rehashing of, you know, England in particular or like Western civilization generally. It's much more inspired by um, African and other Eastern um, mythologies. Um, and it is just really intense. It follows a young woman named Yaina Dar, um, who is from the sort of like barbarian north. And she gets summoned to the main city after her mother dies um, because the old king is dying. And it turns out he is her grandfather. Um, and and he has decided to cast her sort of into the running as heir because he doesn't have any immediate heirs. And he has two other grandchildren who have been raised in the court and are terrible. <laughs> um, they are the worst. And so, so it's not like quite full on John Ralphio there because it's still early here. But like, imagine that I am John Ralphio telling you about these. Um, yeah, they're terrible. And so Yena is like, well, I know how to stab people with spears, but, like, I have not really equipped to deal with these, like, backstabbing with words things that are happening. Um, so she has to figure out how to survive because she is literally going to die. Um if she doesn't. And there also exist in this, you know, court, these um, gods, basically, who have become enslaved to the whims of the royal family. And they can do things like sick the gods on people, and this happens to Yana. Um, and so she has to figure out how to deal with these supernatural things as well as the political stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it will definitely fulfill everything that you're looking for. And I really loved the next two. They're not quite as based on the court 
art politics, but they're still just like, once you're in this world, you're like, tell me more. So um, again, that's The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, the first in the Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Okay, it is time for our second sponsor, which is Good Me, Bad Me, uh, published by Flatiron Books. Um, and this is now in paperback. It is by Allie Land. It's about the daughter of a serial killer who turns her mother into the police. But she has secrets of her own. And when your mother is a serial killer, how far does the apple really fall from the tree? Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this is a dark, um, very compelling psychological thriller. Um, it's character driven you're following this you know young woman to see like what is she is she good or bad what is it going to be um the new york times called it powerful and buzzfeed called it unputdownable this is a premise that i personally love like there was i was trying to remember there's a book by barry liga called i hunt killers that i read uh, years ago that was a ya around the same like it's a young boy whose dad is in prison for being a serial killer and you're like it's like, yeah, what do you what do you do when you were raised by that kind of psychosis? Mm. So if that is a thing you're curious about, you should pick it up. Again, that's Good Me, Bad Me, now in paperback by Allie Land, uh, sponsored by Flatiron Books. Thank you so much. Okay, our next question is from Amanda, not this Amanda, another <laughs> Amanda, who says, my grandfather was diagnosed with dementia several years ago, but his condition has escalated recently and he's just moved into a nursing home. Since my family has fairly spread out, the majority of the care for him has fallen on my mother, who lives closest to the home. She loves to laugh and hasn't let any of this get her down, but I know it's tough on her. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for books that deal with aging parents in a positive or humorous tone, either a memoir or a novel of some sort. I'm going to stop talking for a moment. <laughs> okay, I picked a graphic memoir uh, by Roz Chast, who is a new uh, cartoonist for the New Yorker. I'm pretty sure um, it's called "Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant?" Uh, she's from Brooklyn, the Bronx, Brooklyn. I don't, man, it's been so long since I read Brooklyn. This. She's from, I think thank it's Brooklyn. You. She's from she's from New York, <laughs> one of the boroughs. She's from Brooklyn and had a kind of difficult relationship with her parents. Her mother has a very strong personality and is very overbearing. So when she leaves home, she doesn't go back for like 15 years. And then her parents are starting to get much older and she has this um, like need, you know, a sudden kind of desire to go back and see them. So she goes back to Brooklyn two days before 9-11. When she gets there, she realizes that things have kind of escalated. Her father has um, dementia and her mother is still... Um, you know, overbearing <laughs> and has like she has an accident when she's trying to get something out of a closet and climbing a ladder um and they're in their you know 70s 80s early 90s and Roz can't deny anymore that like they need care um and nobody likes it like nobody she doesn't want to be there her parents don't want her there like they don't they're, they're very resentful of feeling like they need or feeling like they need help especially from their own child but it's also super funny like Ross Chast is writing this it's a it's a comedic memoir about her parents aging and eventually passing away both of them her father dies and then her mother dies i think 2 years later um but and that 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 kind of that tension when you become kind of the parent right like when you need to take over making the meals and making sure everybody takes their medications and doing all those things that your parents did for you when you were small. And now it's your job, which is compounded by the fact that 
she doesn't get along with her parents really to begin with and her father has a lot of anxiety issues um and so it's just the like the minutia of that day-to-day -day experience there it, it's a cartoon you know she's a cartoonist so it's illustrated but she also includes a bunch of photos of like their house um and how you can tell that her parents have started to uh, kind of succumb to dementia and not stay on top of things by like the piles of stuff that have piled up everywhere and how it's kind of dangerous and all these sorts of things. Um, dealing with like having to get really physically close to your parents again when you haven't been, you know, for forever, um, managing all those logistics and all of that kind of stuff. So she's addressing every aspect of that process of of dealing with aging parents, going back home um, to care for them, and then them eventually passing away through this, this lens of humor um, she's not making light of it, but she's uh, appreciating the humorous moments um, and striving to find them in, in this book. So that's Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast. Well, I did that book with a book club um, mm. and it was really interesting because it was a really wide age range. Like we had teenagers because it was a graphic novel book club. So we had teenagers and then we had some older folks and, you know, people in the middle and it, everybody was just so sort of blown away by it. Um, and it is so darkly funny. You're just like, oh, I hate that I'm laughing at this. But mm -hmm. what, else can, what else can you do? It's either laugh or cry. Um, I have I have a lot of sympathy for this question. Um, my parents are dealing with something similar. And this one is from my TBR that I'm like keeping an eye out for books for them. Um, it's called The End of Your Life Book Club by Will Schwalbe. Um, and it is, um, his mother uh, is uh, doing chemotherapy. Um, and he is sort of visiting with her and he asks her what she's reading. And it turns into like this one little conversation turns into a book club. Um, they are reading the same books so that they have something to talk about in the hospital waiting room because, you know, chemotherapy is hours of just sitting there. Um, and so now they have something to talk about and they pick stuff that's like classical or classical. They pick classic literature. They pick popular stuff. They pick, you know, spiritual stuff. They pick fantastical stuff. They just they have a huge range um, and the book is sort of a recounting of both them sort of thinking about these books that they're reading together, but also like, you know, what it's like to be watching one of your parents die and, and, or be ill. Um, and how do you find, you know, common ground and how do you negotiate all of these emotions, um, and, and still be there for them. So, um, then a little bit less on the humorous side, a little bit more on the like sweet, but positive side. Um, and you know, it's, it's sad. I mean, the book is called the end of your life book club, but, um, this is something that like we all have to think about. So again, that's the end of your life book club by Will Schwalbe. All right. Question six is from Kara, who says, I was pretty convinced that I don't like romance, but you ladies are always talking about great romance uh, books. For the Read Harder Challenge of read a romance novel by or about a person of color, I chose Whiskey and Ribbons by Lisa Cross Smith. The book is so good. It just made me feel like love is amazing and wonderful and the writing is beautiful. I feel like I've been missing out by avoiding the genre. I admit I haven't given romance much of a chance, but the little bit I have read has annoyed me with either the characters having amazing sex immediately after meeting or plain bad writing. What are some good romances for people new to the genre? Okay, I picked An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole, which definitely does not have amazing sex immediately after the characters nope. meet because they hate each other. <laughs> well, one of them hates the other. One of them has to pretend. It's complicated. So this is a Civil War uh, historical fiction romance that takes place in Richmond. What, what? Um, and the main character's name is Elle, and she is a former slave, and she has joined... 
uh, she's joined the Union Army as a spy. And so she's gone undercover. She, oh, and she has an eidetic memory, so like a photographic memory. She's, been, she's a super genius. And she's gone undercover for the Union as a slave in a household to a Confederate, I think a general, like a, con- a high-ranking Confederate official in Richmond, um, and has and is pretending to be mute so that no one finds out that she's like a super genius. And uh, while she is performing this kind of duty like uh, of, of spying on this family, um, she meets Malcolm, who is a Confederate soldier who is in the house of this person she's spying on as like a guest. But that's not what he actually is. He actually is a detective for Pinkerton's Secret Service, which is like the precursor to the FBI. So he they're working for the same side, but they they he has to pretend that he, you know, completely doesn't consider her human because she's a black woman and she thinks that he's a Confederate, so she doesn't have to pretend that she wants to punch his lights out. Um, and then they find out, <laughs> just, just real feelings happening. Um, and then they find out, they like they meet um, at a spot in the middle of the night where they're supposed to like, you know, meet their contact on this mission and they find out that they are each other's contacts and they have to join forces um, to uncover this plot that would like turn the war to the Confederates' favor. So there's a lot of like political intrigue and spying, and she is so smart and witty. And he is just like the Teddy Berryest of of heroes. And I love him so much. Alyssa Cole is a great writer, and their lo- the the story is so complex because he's white, right? And so the story is she doesn't ignore the like infinite number of problems that that would cause for a couple. Um, and she lets Elle have problems with it. Like she lets Elle be bothered by the fact that she's attracted to this man um, who presents as a Confederate soldier, who she knows that he's not. And she knows that he's, this is not like a slave romance. She knows that he's not a Confederate soldier, um, but who is going to be able to navigate his life in ways that she never will and never has been able to. And they have, and then he has to like, well, what, how, what do I do? Like, how do I make it better? You you know, they, they work through those um, issues that a, a couple at this time in history would have had. Uh, and so I do things blow up. There's like Ironsides. I'm such a history nerd and I loved it so much. So that's an extraordinary union by Alyssa Cole. All of the cosine. <laughs> I'm making like the big all hands, like all of Woo! it, all of the cosine. <laughs> I love that series. Um, I picked The Bollywood Bride by Sonali Dev for you. It is the second, theoretically, in this um, Bollywood series, but like they're not actually that connected. So you're, I don't even, there's like very small connections. Um, they're so good. Um, and this one I picked because the first one is a little bit lighter, which I loved, but I feel like Bollywood Bride like really doubles down on what Sonali Dev is good at, which is like dealing with these really complicated emotions. Um, And, oh, it's just so good. It's about a woman named Rhea who is a Bollywood actress and she's sort of got this reputation as an ice princess. Um, She's beautiful. She's poised. She's never like in the tabloids for anything scandalous. Um, And then one night she's kind of like, you know, but she's, she's, of course, this is all a facade. And one night she's um, at home just sort of like messing around and like trying to like forget the really intensely sort of structured and like, you know, bound life that she's leading. And a paparazzi gets a a photo of her that makes it look like she's trying to commit suicide. Um, And so now she's in the papers. And in the meantime, she is supposed to be going back to Chicago um, from India for her cousin's wedding. That's where a bunch of her family lives. Um, And so she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go to Chicago and sort of wait out the media storm. Um, 
But at home is Vikram, who she grew up with, and they were in love, and then their relationship ended because of a decision that Rhea made and like they parted on incredibly bad terms. And so it's, it's, it's like, Oh, right. Like, yeah, you're going to go home to this family reunion and see your ex. That's like the most painful ex that you could possibly see. And in the meantime, your face is across all of these like tablet. There's all these stories about you and paparazzi are trying to find you to follow up on it. Like what, what do you even do with that? Um, And then on top of just sort of the situational stuff, you start to see that Rhea has been struggling with um, mental illness in her family for a very long time and has really not had any support or any has really not like had anybody to talk to about it and, and, and has not had healthy ways to deal with it. Um, so like, it's just, there's so much, there's so much emotional fodder here and Sonali Dev handles it so beautifully. Like it just unfolds and, and there's these flashbacks to Rhea and Vikram's childhood. Um, and it's, Oh, it's so good. Like it, like it, it really, like it hurts. Some of the scenes are just like, Oh, I'm in such pain for you. Like my, my precious book baby is like, I don't want you to hurt anymore. Um, I just want you to be happy, but because it's a romance novel, you know that they're going to figure it out. Um, but they don't figure it out in like an easy magical way. Like this stuff takes work kind of like Amanda was saying with extraordinary and like, it's really amazing to see a couple actually work through this stuff and not just like magically everybody's better and fine. This is all fine now. Like, no, nothing is magically fine here. It takes work, but they get there and it's so beautiful to watch this relationship unfold on the page. Uh, so again, that's The Bollywood Bride by Sonali Dev. Okay, our last question is from Angela, who says, can you recommend any books based around tattoos and fantasy elements connected to or about them? I love fantasy and historical fiction. My favorite books are Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, Station Eleven, and A Discovery of Witches. Amanda, what you got? I picked Inked by Eric Smith, who I will say is a contributing editor here and is a co-host of our YA podcast. Uh, But he has a book out, a fantasy novel out by Bloomsbury Spark, and it is a fantasy novel about tattoos. <laughs> it's exactly what you're looking for. So the main character lives in this world where the the magical um, tattoos that you get settle under your skin when you turn 18 um, and they decide your destiny. And so the main character doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want, he wants a choice. He wants to decide what he wants his life to be like. So he decides he's going to run away. But then he uncovers the series of, of events that um, send the Citadel, which is the government uh, under which he lives after him and after everybody he loves. He like upsets the scribe that was supposed to give him his ink that's going to like decide where he's going to go. Um, so it's a book about your fate being decided by society based on what you look like on the outside. So I'm sure you can kind of get what he's getting at here. But it's a really, really fast paced um, YA fantasy novel. So that's Inked by Eric Smith. So your favorite books are all sort of real world with a twist and it is actually not that easy to find fantasy tattoo books that are that like (laughs) there's just it's just there's just not that many of them and I actually really wish there were because I would read the bejesus out of those um but I it reminded me of a YA novel that I read years ago and really loved although it is very dark um it's Ink Exchange by Melissa Marr like there needs to be a bingo square for this now it's actually book two in the series (laughs) but I think you can read it alone or you can read the first one and then read it whatever you make your own choices but um 
it's my favorite of the trilogy, quite frankly. And I, I, I think it's because it is so dark um, and because it just digs into this stuff and it has tattoos and magic that I just responded to it the way that I did. Um, it comes with trigger warnings for rape and suicidal ideation. So if you uh, don't want to hear about that, um, skip ahead a bit while the show's almost over. But, you know, do what you got to do. Um, <laughs> So it takes place in, uh, like, there's a 17-year-old named Leslie. It, it takes place in sort of our world, though. Um, and there's 17-year-old Leslie who is best friends with a girl who actually is now, like, part of a fairy court. But she doesn't really know that. Um, and she's sort, of, she's sort of on the fringes of this fantasy world and doesn't realize it. And what she does know is that her home life is terrible. Her brother and his friends have, like, abused her in the past. Her father is useless. Like, she has a terrible, terrible home life. Um, but she doesn't feel like she can leave because they sort of rely on her to, like, help bring a money to, like, pay the bills. Um, and she just feels incredibly trapped. Um, and she goes by this tattoo shop one night and sees this tattoo and is like, oh, I need – this is the tattoo that sort of embodies everything I want to be different about me and my life, and I'm going to go get this tattoo. What she doesn't know is that the person who puts this tattoo on her is actually the ruler of, like, the dark fairy court, and this tattoo now binds her to him. Um, and, like, he needs a human to pull emotions through to keep his court sort of going magically and because he is the ruler of the dark court those emotions are super dark um and so she gets pulled into this really really messed up fantasy world and has to sort of figure out like who is she and and how does she sort of break away both from her, you know, the terrible family bonds and then this magical bond? And, like, who does she want to be? And how does she want to deal with all of these dark, dark things that have happened to her and these emotions that she's part of in this situation? Like, it's real – it's really intense. And, um, and it's so – it just it just was so unafraid to dig into that stuff, and I really appreciated that. Um, and in the ending, I was like, "Yeah, Leslie, like do it." Um, so I I got to root for her in a way that I found really satisfying. Um, so yeah, it's I, it's a really intense book. Um, it's it's got a lot of you know uncomfortable stuff in it, uh, but I just remember being so enraptured with it and this idea of like a tattoo being sort of like a, a thing that can bond you to other people is an interesting one to explore in this way. So that's Ink Exchange. It's the second book in the Wicked Lovely trilogy and it's by Melissa Moore. And that's our show. Wahoo! Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to do that. We love to see the feedback, and it helps other folks to find this show. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can find me on social media as Jen IRL. It's Jen with two N's, IRL. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>